0: .NET Rocks episode 995 with guest Brian Hunter. Recorded Wednesday, June 4th, 2014.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard on the floor at the Norwegian
0: Developers Conference 2014. In a How many fish bowls have we done? We've done a lot of fish what bowls. was the first fishbowl? Was it like 2006 at TechEd? I or think something? so. I think it's like, so. hey, we got a people
1: aquarium. That's right. People come up and they look. They press their face against the glass yeah. and they look at us like we're in a in, a, in the zoo or something. Yeah. They right? tap the glass. You too can be you. a podcaster. <laughs> Oh, my, my. Hey, let's, uh, without any further ado, I have something really interesting for today. Uh Uh-oh. And I don't know if you know about this.
0: Ah, I'm about to be illuminated. Roll that funky music, white boys.
1: All right, buddy, what do you got? Tryfsharp.org. I've heard of this. Tryfsharp.org is a Microsoft research site where you can learn about Fsharp, Right. And you can try it in the browser. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, you know, I think we might have heard about this early on in in uh, F-Sharps. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: I'm sure we actually had put but I, in the show notes before, but, but it I was years ago. didn't
1: remember them having a, a built-in kind of compiler, intermediate interpreter or whatever. In the browser. That's super cool. And I cool. just thought that was so cool. And it and it looks so Metro and so cool. <laughs> sharp.org. That's cool. Um, I don't know. Brian, did you know about this? Yeah. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> we, we
2: used it at our user groups. Of no. course you did, yeah.
1: But uh, I didn't. So I, I uh, it, it's just very cool. And um, you, it has a lot of learning resources there and uh, just a way to explore and create and try it out
0: awesome good stuff good find dude
1: good videos and, yeah yeah so I
0: love uh, it yeah and yeah even if you've gone to it before you gotta go back and look at it gotta now. go back and it look at like it sounds like they really advanced it
1: and it's t-r-y-f-s-h-a-r-p dot
0: org don't put the pound sign yeah. in the url folks yeah urls don't like pound signs Some it's work. kind of against the rules <laughs> it's an anchor <laughs> special leaning. just saying alright and <laughs> okay. it's capital F right <laughs> 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 Richard, who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 955, and that's the one we did with Neil Danson, uh, talking about F-sharp everywhere. Where yeah. he was uh, looking at, I think one of my favorite parts of that show, if you remember, was when we were talking about F-sharp in the context of Bob Martin's solid principles. Right. And uh, that, I thought, was a really cool conversation. In fact, uh, I'm not the only one. Arnold Axelrod said, Great show. It was especially interesting to me to hear Neil talk about the relationship between functional programming and the solid principle and how functional programming lends itself naturally to writing solid code. And this is solid, the acronym. Yeah, the right? acronym. Uh, in fact, it e- even though I never used F-sharp, besides my experience with Scheme from university, I've never done any functional programming, I realized this relationship myself and even blogged about it and he references a blog post, but despite the fact that I already knew it, it was very exciting for me to hear Neil's great explanations about this correlation because it gave me real reinforcement for my own ideas. Yeah. Which which more can you hope for, That's right? That's it. It's to run across like-minded people that are thinking about similar problems and coming to similar conclusions. Exactly. That's how we make things better. So, Arnon, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, for Windows Phone 7 and 8, for iOS, and for Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And
1: before we go any further, let's talk about Pluralsight. They're home to the largest tech and creative training library on the planet, They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs, industry experts, and .NET Rock's guests. They release dozens of courses every month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, offering iOS coverage, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything Microsoft. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to Brian Hunter. Brian is a partner at Firefly Logic, the founder of Nashville Functional Programmers and a Microsoft MVP. Brian is obsessed with lean functional programming and CQRS. Welcome, Brian.
2: Hi. Hi. Great to be back. How are you? I'm doing really well. I just finished the session, so all of the, the stress of speaking at a conference is gone, and it's entirely fun from here on. So.
0: Nice. You <laughs> also sort of put together the whole functional track here at NDC. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Most of that work though was done months ago, and so I've been pretty much relieved from that stress right. for a while, and uh, just been seeing the fun emails going back and forth between it's really the group. line uh, lineup this, this. year. Oh my god! Uh, well, I yes. met
0: Joe Armstrong at uh, QCon earlier this year. Right. Matt, and met he's that's literally the inventor of airline
2: yes and uh and uh, joe armstrong robert verding and mike williams and two of those three are here yeah. this week at oslo right. uh for ndc and uh uh, I, I was joking. I, I just handed off a bottle of Jack Daniels to uh, to Robert Verding uh, as as uh, the bribe uh, of him coach uh, you know coaxing uh, Armstrong to come in. <laughs> and so it was the the part of the Tennessee gift pack. So uh, so nice. it was a, he, he got a Firefly Logic T shirt. He got goo uh, goo clusters, and he got Jack Daniels. <laughs>
1: and yeah, and you know that's something that doesn't make you very functional, <laughs> <laughs>
2: right? Yeah. You think about
1: it. Um, so uh, you showed us a picture of a seven year old at one of. Your events, and you do a lot of these events for uh, developers. Uh, you, you mentioned it in the in the intro there when we were talking about uh, tryfsharp.org. Yeah. What? Uh, tell me about some of these events that you do.
2: Yeah. So, um, Nashville uh, has been on a long road of becoming um, uh, this functional power in the middle of the country, and it made not a lot of sense really, other than you had uh, a group of people that that really felt strongly about FP. And they just happened to be there. So Dan Mole is out of Nashville, uh, is there. There's some uh, closure developers. So we had a Polyglot Functional Group. Mm-hmm. Now Rachel Reese is in Nashville. Paul, uh, think Lasucci. it's your fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, that's uh, right. Well, part of that is my fault. But, uh, but I mean, there were things that were kicking along before uh, uh, before as well. And so uh, back in uh, 2009, uh, Dan Mole and I, we kicked around and put together an F-sharp Firestarter. Mm-hmm. And so this is before it was bundled in the box. It wasn't part of Visual Studio. Right. Still and an MSR project, really. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so we ended up having a Saturday event, and there were 25 or 30 people that showed up to code all day long in Nashville hmm. on this language that people weren't really sure if it was ever going to ship or anything was ever going to happen with it. Like, you had to install it in this funky way and bolt it onto Visual Studio, and it was, it was kind of craziness. And uh, out of that group, there was so much energy there that we knew that there was something, uh, and so part of that that uh, that effort sprang out of other people that are here at uh, at Oslo this week. So Scott Belware, I'd been to uh, Kaizenconf before with him, and, mm-hmm. and that group was all about challenging each other to uh, you know to to put your shoulder to the wheel a bit more, and right. uh, so. That's when I started driving on the. Really, after KaizenConf Conference, when I started really working on the on the functional side, because I knew it was important by then. Uh, two years earlier, two thousand seven, I'd had this exposure uh, to functional programming in the wild, and uh, it it really changed me. And that happened to be here at Oslo uh, in two thousand seven. I was uh, working on a on a project uh, here. It was a six week engagement for a company that's. Uh, here in Oslo, and it was um, an OO arc review. So we were looking at 20 million lines of C++ wow. and c code.
1: Holy man.
2: And we were meeting up with these teams of architects. There were 11 or 12 uh, teams uh, over this, and they'd flown, uh, they'd flown in from Houston, Stavanger, Abington, you know, just all over right. the world. They descended on Oslo. And we were going through this. And on the way over, my, uh, my colleague, uh, we were looking at Uncle Bob's book. Right and, and we we're saying we could probably pretty much just deliver them this book before we even do this project <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh and you know and it's almost the truth i mean the the paper we gave this 60 page assessment of of the problems uh and it was a solid book uh, this is this agile practices book the which Bachelor is the practices where the where right. the solid stuff is introduced came from. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The it's the book. original one of the yeah. galaxies mm-hmm. and, and so uh so we're joking about that, but it ended up not being too far from the truth. Uh, and, you know, it's depressing because you, you know what kinds of problems you're going to see in any large OO code base. Sure. They're all the same. It's yes. every code base like this. And, and so that means that there's something broken. On that project, though, I, I ran into something that really I didn't anticipate at all. Complete surprise. There was one part of what we were reviewing where there were no problems. <laughs> and uh, at first i thought that it was uh like it was seemed like a huge risk because there's no architect even for this team and, and so they hadn't bothered to send anyone and so we, we started digging in more It's like this sounds bad there's no architect here to talk about the problems the system feeds these downstream systems uh it seems risky 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 and uh they're like well the code has been up and running for four years right. with no downtime
0: Zero downtime. Zero wow. downtime. And no complaints from anybody. It's not missing any features. Like, this thing does what it's supposed to do, and well, it's just been working.
2: Well, it, it, it was missing features two years earlier, and so uh, there were some features that they needed to add, but it wasn't. It, these weren't defects. It was just they had new business functionality. Right. And they did hot code loading on the system. So a running system that's been up for two years, they right. push new code out, and it's not down a beat even then. And there were no problems from that. Wow! And and I, and I was, you know, what is this spooky magic? Yes. You know, because the yeah. other parts of the system uh, had the were, normal were, were, were events. There were event storms. Right. There were hierarchy problems, uh, like uh, class levels, eight levels deep. This, right. you know, all these horrible maintenance problems. And there's this thing that was behaving. Yeah. And it seemed like a total grown-up in the room, full of a bunch of crazy kids, <laughs> and and and, uh, and and so that was the first time I heard the word Erlang. Huh. And, and so my, my career has been uh, in, in the Microsoft stack uh, all the way from 94. It's when I entered the, entered the uh, I'd say professional, but it really seems funny to call that kid a professional nice. in 94. Sure. But, was it a Visual <laughs>
0: Basic? Or?
2: Uh, it was. Uh, so I was doing a mix of C and then uh, Visual Basic. So uh, Borland C and, uh, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and Microsoft C and then Visual Basic. And then that led into .NET from the early betas of sure, uh, yeah, so
0: Aurora, yep, right. So now you've encountered Erlang, yeah, in the context of this massive review you're doing. Yes. like what a setting, yeah. for seeing all these problems you knew were reasonable problems that like, you know this is the stuff that happens when we build big systems. Oh, exactly. And you, then here was this thing that just had no problems.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I went back to the hotel room uh, and started Wikipedia about Erlang, you because know, right. I didn't even know what it was. I had no idea, and I'd heard of Lisp, right.
1: yeah. <laughs> but I
2: was such a noob, and I you know, and had, uh, you know, functional. I didn't understand that there was a like a what the differences were. I thought it was maybe just a different language, and, right. you know, like a style kind of thing. And uh, I, I, I realized then that I was wrong. And I started reading case studies, and I started seeing other companies. And, and th- this wasn't uncommon. And I, I, other things I ran across later. Uh, so around 60% of the world's mobile traffic. So all yeah. of the the, the voice, right. the right. data, and that's text messages, everything the is, is going through Erlang right, right. now. It's Ericsson. There- Yes, Ericsson, right, and so it was. It was built out of uh, Ericsson. Well, the telephone by, switching
1: <clears throat> networks were all run on Erlang as well. Well, what it, and they
2: weren't though up until uh, Joe Armstrong and Robert Verding uh, w- went crazy in the lab and and, and built this thing. And so it, there's an interesting story. Uh, you all really have to have Joe Armstrong and sometimes to sure. show a better version of this. But but so. Uh, Joe, uh, the way I understand is Joe was, they ordered a small talk machine. They, they were in a lab where they were just kicking around different ways of solving, solving telecom problems. Right, And so they were in this lab and, uh, they ordered this small talk machine. It was going to be six weeks for it to be delivered. And so they, they had this crate, milk crate of research papers that they were just going through. And they had, you know, communicating sequential processes, Tony Hoare. And they had all these different, different bits of reading. And, um... As they were reading, they started kicking around the ideas uh and, and they created the first versions of Erlang then. hmm And inventing a language. And, and by the time the small talk machine arrived, they were far enough along that, that mm. they did that they were in a better spot with this language and they kept on going with that. And yeah. that was the roots of this language. And so you know, so Alan Kay, you know Father of Fathers. You know, yeah. uh, you know, he coined the, the term oh oh and and so uh, here they were waiting for this machine and they were studying what he was up to. Right. And they were studying these other ideas and that's what Erlang grew out of. And I think it's really amazing, if you go back to those origins and you look at Alan Kay, you know, there's a quote where he says, I, I came up with the term OO and what I had in mind wasn't C++.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> Which is totally fair. I would think he'd have more in mind. I mean, I think about real... O oh, languages in the 80s, and it was like uh, Bertrand's Eiffel. Eiffel. Which was yeah. really quite an elegant language that nobody
2: used. I mean around message passing. Yeah. And so you had these things that would communicate through sending messages back and forth. Mm-hmm. That's it turns out, if you if you look around at all the languages that, that implement what Alan Kay described as OO, Erlang is the best fit out there? <laughs>
1: Isn't that interesting? <laughs>
2: and and, and uh, you know, it, it's stunning because everything else has went so far off the map. They misread. It's like it's like this sort of uh, mondegreen, or you know, like the the misheard lyrics, right? You know, right, and, and right. people are like, sure. Mum, hum, hum, and they they're, they're singing the wrong lyric yes. over and over. And that's what Java and C Sharp are. I mean, it, it feels like that we it's just been a mistake that we've kept on going with because we didn't understand what the original intent was or what right. the, and. and and it, it, it's sad because there are things cooked in in, in the core of OO, uh, and so this is this has been a long obsession from 2007 with FP. But the reason it's an obsession, uh, so you read in the intro like this long obsession with lean. Yeah. So that goes way back from like uh, when I was in college. Uh, so I, I, I dug deep into dimming, and so dimming was. You could say would be the father of Lean, W.R.S. Dimming. So yeah. he was part of the Department of War in World War II. He used to reason the U.S. tribal war machine.
0: Yeah, he was, and then he was shipped part it of that. all over
2: to Japan. Shipped it to Japan, <laughs> and then they, you know, Toyota, and they we send it back over here as Toyota Way, and then it becomes Lean, and then it's uh, all Deming. And, and it's all this, and it's, it, a lot of it comes down from Dimming, and just a few, I mean, they, they cite him as the core of this. Right. But this idea of the continuous improvement is really important. And uh, I think as an industry, we're continuously changing, but I don't think we're continuously improving. There's a lot of, there's just a, there's a lot of fashion and a lot of fad. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and we shouldn't let that go because fashion and fad sort of indicates that all that stuff we were doing before, we should throw away and now do this, right? Whereas continuous improvement means... We, we, we don't something. throw everything away. Right. We, we improve on what yeah.
2: we do. Yeah, and so fashion and fat we do throw everything away. It's right. like here's it's the new fall season. You know, right? The food new fall lineup, and and everything goes out. Right. And but if if instead we say there were good things here, and we build on top of that, uh, so so this whole journey is left from being like a technical thing for me. And it's really moved into more of an ethical thing for me. Hmm. So as, as I left from, uh, came back from Oslo uh, in 2007, and I was reading about Erlang, and uh, I was just my, you know, every once in a while I would think about this. It was like, why is it so different? Why is this? And I started learning more about the VM. I started learning more about these things, and and I was working on some really nasty projects that had the typical O problems, right. all sorts of problems around uh, concurrency, you know, problems, all sorts, you know. It was scale, you know, trying to scale in ways that .NET or any language that wasn't built as a concurrent language we encounters. struggle with. Yeah. And yeah. we know
0: as experienced developers, like when you look at the project, say, there's going to be pain here. Right. Yeah. This level of yeah. concurrency of what you want to do, I kn- this is, I'm going to need very best guys to write it very carefully <laughs> so that it'll actually deliver what it needs to deliver. Right. Uh, you could you know it's coming.
2: You you could see the pain point coming. It's not like this is inexperienced. An right. And so we we know these things. And yeah. so it's like so what do you do? So you, you you if you're in a spot and you you don't know better. Um you know we're all trying to do our best job as developers and we're going out there doing our good stuff. And, and But at the point you learn, you you encounter these things, and you realize that there's a better way of solving the problem than what you've been doing, Mm -hmm. then it it goes from being this technical thing to becoming the ethical thing. And I believe this is happening to a lot of people right now as far as functional programming is concerned. As a
0: technology professional, knowing that there's a tool out there that gives you a substantial advantage to solving this problem, how could you not use it?
2: Mm. exactly it it comes down to just the the cost i mean you're charging the business for this i mean there's the maintenance cost there's the you know some systems actually matter in people's lives you know you you have things that are some things are serious some things are you know you know silly apps and so on and but uh but it's all to discard
0: 20 years worth of work either because we have we had good intention. Maybe we went off on a wrong path yeah. for a while. We have actually written a awful lot of software. Yep. I don't know. That we've thrown everything out. You know, object. Or, I remember the, being taught the three pillars of object orientation, right? The encapsulation, polymorphism, inheritance. And over the years, I think we've all come to conclusion. Like inheritance is a mistake. I don't. Other than right. demos, right. I've never seen inheritance not bite you. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Yes. Encapsulation. whatever. Encapsulation yeah. is the only one that matters. Right. Right. And in the end. Stuff should be encapsulated. It should have a it should have a a visible surface and an invisible surface, and that's about the only thing I carried
2: out of that that I still believe in. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. And uh, here's here's a th- earlier you were talking about the solid principles. Uh, I uh, I've been thinking about this one for a while, and I got to run this zinger by Uncle Bob last year when nice. I saw him at the, at the conference. Uh, so I'd been off on my obsession, you know. Uh, re- feeling guilty every time I said, file new class. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, just like hanging my head in shame. But uh, part, of the, part of the problem came down to thinking about single responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if your class has more than one reason to change, you know, you maybe have a problem here. Well, think about this. If your class is about data and behavior you have two reasons to change already. Right. And, and, <laughs> and isn't so, that
0: the essence of object-oriented Sure is. You have it, methods it, and properties. Mm-hmm. You have data. And behavior it,
2: it, right. at the point you break this. If, if you go away and you you say I'm going to have data without behavior, then Martin Fowler wags his finger at you and right. he says anemic domain model, <laughs> any pattern, any pattern. And, and so I told Uncle Bob is like, you know what, uh, I, you know I think Uncle uh, I think Uncle Bob, you're right, and Martin Fowler's wrong. Uh, <laughs> and so he gave that that crazy uh, drunken mailman laugh that he did. Yes. And so he yeah. hit him as being really funny, <laughs> and so right. I, I loved it uh, <laughs> exactly. (laughs) that's the last thing (laughs) Uh, he's down the hall guys two people i'm sorry (laughs) but uh and so but uncle bob though uh you hear him here he at this conference uh, he's speaking on uh functional programming uh let's see what is the title of it it's uh functional programming what why and when Right. And, and I saw this talk in, in London, an earlier version of it, and he's basically telling you in that talk, if you're on the OO train now, it's time to start looking at getting on the other train. Right, And so this is the guy who wrote the Principles of OO, right, <laughs> in yeah. a book that everyone has cut their teeth on yes, over yeah. the last decade. And uh, and, and I, 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 I'm so happy because I, I, I cut my teeth on that book as well, and mm-hmm. I have so much respect for him. But a thing that had bothered me over the years is, is I hadn't seen that signal from him. I hadn't right. seen the FP uh, stuff after, when I first started digging in, and it, and it felt wrong. And, and I started feeling like, so Uncle Bob, it feels like that he was selling the guidebook on how to navigate the minefield. right. Instead of selling the guidebook telling you to get the hell out of the minefield. How you don't have to go into the minefield at yeah, all. Yeah, and, and, and so, but he's now telling people to get out of the minefield. Yeah, and, right. and so it took him, so he, he, he dove into closure. It was his path. Yes. And, and, and so I, I, I have, I mean, it was this case where he was going along and he was able to build software that had quality through extreme diligence. And so you end up having this, this whole craftsman movement. Yep. And so at the point you count on diligence, though, that's right. a that's a losing game. Yeah. I mean, because you can't constantly be diligent. And this falls back to lean again. So if we think about lean, there's a, a really important concept called the poke yoke. Um, so if you ever drive into a garage, like a parking garage, mm-hmm. and you see that little plastic beam that hangs and it says seven-foot clearance. Right. Um, that's to keep you from making a terrible mistake. If you bump that plastic beam, it's not going to hurt much. Right. But if they don't put that there and you drive in, you can crunch. and, and you're, you're So right. a poke yoke is about, like... Keeping something that could be really horrible, a mistake that could be preventable, and, and, and putting making a guard it, there. Making it trivial. It's right. an assert. Yeah. Right? It, assert that
0: your vehicle is shorter than seven feet by getting under this bar.
2: Something that someone could easily make the mistake. Yep. And, and, you know, and even someone that's diligent, they aren't paying the attention all the that time. doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it turns yeah. it into something much less painful. And so I think that's almost a sign of, like, being a grown-up. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, there are people that throw bottles, and then there are people that go around picking glass up. Right, and, well, and
0: and it's interesting because it, there is also a group of people who say adulthood would mean you know how tall your car is. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right, yeah. Because like, you see yeah. the, that, that exact <laughs> attitude, and I live on very much an enterprise architect life where we're going through, um, we're going through root cause analysis, mm. and the number of times we get to the root cause of uh, or the solution of be more careful next time. Yeah, right. It's like be a grown up. It's like why do we need to be careful at all? How, why aren't we allowing ourselves to to create? these simple barriers
2: that you can bump against without hurting anybody yep. and know uh, okay we're out of realms it, it's you know it's not an entirely uncommon thing it's not an unheard of thing in software i mean you think about managed memory yep that that's, that was that's about turned out to be a pretty good thing very you know? good idea <laughs> it's know, a good idea
0: there there, uh, are, there are some good things in in, in jvm and and, yeah, and the dot right uh,
2: and the the clr and one of them was managed memory and, and so you've this Pokeyoke implemented at a foundation level right. i mean it's there at the runtime and and so concurrency obviously is a place where people cut their fingers they shoot yep. their feet off they, they, everything goes wrong with concurrency yes. when you when you bring out threads you know yep. it's like this 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 line of uh uh there's uh there's a term for people who uh are eager to take on threads right junior developer
1: <laughs> yeah everybody else knows
0: better yeah right? <laughs> everybody yeah. else knows better and, uh, yeah create thread if
2: you've said create thread you're
0: already in hell <laughs>
2: right you're already there yeah and, and, and so it's a total place where a poke yoke uh, fits right. and, and so the thing is is you have to solve it at that foundation level and what most languages have been doing since they didn't think about it early enough because you think about most languages they were built when we had machines that had single cores, yep. single core processors, memory constrained, storage yeah. constrained, um, and, and, you know, and, and that was the pattern. They were yep. built for that machine. That's what for. And um, uh, you you go back and you have to find this really oddball thing of Erlang. And so here, this language was invented in 1986, and it's still cited as the language that gets concurrency right. Right. And, uh, and that you was know, 86, and, and you still have like languages like Go. Which they solve part of the problem of concurrency, but they have nothing about the fault tolerance. And so, they, even you know, they've had this hindsight, right. and, and you've got Google's might, and they still create a language that's not better than Erlang. Hmm. You know, it's it's you know, the concurrency is potentially faster. Erlang's concurrency is so fast that I don't need it to be that fast anyway. And right. so, I need I need software to work. In talking
1: to Erlang hmm. developers, yeah. it it seems to that the pattern matching. Is the is the killer feature besides the speed, the blazing speed, but the uh, the pattern matching?
2: Uh, p- pattern matching is really nice. And so the talk I gave earlier today was uh, CQRS with Erlang, mm-hmm. and uh, I know you've had CQRS content on the show quite sure. a bit, and so I think a lot of the audience will be familiar with that. But uh, I encountered CQRS, and the the first thirty minutes of hearing about it, I thought this sounds like it would be really uh, a great fit for implementing an Erlang. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was my first thought because i you know, because been working Erlang before. Yeah. And, and so pattern matching of matching, so when you're handling event, and there's a thing called GenEvent that basically a lot of the machinery you have to build inside of a .NET project or a Java project if you're going to implement CQRS is just out of the box. And you have these other things that are out of the box as well. Um, so you model uh, your aggregates as a process in memory, a totally isolated process. And so think about this. If you're, if you're uh, dealing in a CQRS system and you have, say, an aggregate, and this aggregate is patient 1,000. Right. You got patient 1,002. So you have these two patients out there. What if you have multiple web servers coming in, uh, or you have multiple users coming in from multiple web servers and they're wanting to deal with patient 1,000? How do you deal with that on uh, inside of a .NET or a Java or a conventional stack? Well, you're going to load that thing up, and you're going to poke some sort of command at it, and it's right. going to try to respond, and it's going to if it happens, it happens, and it's going to save to the event store. But you're on two different machines here. Right. And so you still have this collision, even though this this language uh, or this, this architectural pattern helps you solve some of these problems of concurrency by at least having an event store so that things are applied sequentially there. Yep. At, at the at the point that the event actually happens, but you could still have these these actors or these aggregates spun up on multiple boxes, yes. and you're, you're having things that could conflict. You could be saying, uh, uh, give uh, make the customer preferred, and this other one just said, oh, they're late on their payment. Well, <laughs> you don't want to make the guy right. late, uh, preferred who's right. late on his payment, and so it, and so you're in this weird state because two things happen at the same time. So in Erlang, you could have a cluster with you know. 32 servers connected and you could say I want to have this aggregate spin up and I want you're going to model this as a process and so process for patient 1000 spins up or customer 1000 whatever uh, spins up and you spin them up on server five someone else needs to do something with with that same uh that same object that same customer it would be routed to server five right So you would only have one instance of that thing in the entire cluster of 100 computers. You might have tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands of aggregates spun up on each single server. But if you're requesting patient 1,000 or customer 1,500, you're going to that one instance that exists on that one box. It's all
1: about keeping one copy of the data. So you
2: you can serialize, and then all these problems of concurrency go away then. And so that's a really simple pattern uh, that would be hard distributed actors is like you ask someone, how would you do distributed actors? And they go, <laughs> <laughs> that's a
1: problem. That's a, a pattern we use in multi-threaded programming as well, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is keep one copy of the data yeah. rather than try to synchronize multiple copies of the data.
2: That's crazy. There's all this good stuff just out of the box. And so the talk for that will be online if anyone listening wants to see. Uh, NDC has an amazing series of videos that they publish. And, and so uh, uh, my session was recorded. And so it'll be up there if anyone wants that. But but we're talking about community.
1: Uh, hey, but before we talk about community, Richard, you know what time it
0: is? Oh, it must be that happy time again.
1: Right now, it's time to drive an 11 foot tall RV into a seven foot parking garage. Who <laughs> would <it> do that? <laughs> oh, my Porky O'Kurtz. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I had to do that.
1: We, we had a, didn't we have a 13 foot tall RV? It was a
0: 13 foot tall. <laughs> yeah, movie. but it, it doesn't sound as good as 11. Oh, I totally with you. But don't I'm, I have nothing to so bad for as comedy? Me. Yeah, yeah. But I just the fear of <laughs> driving under <laughs> oh, things yeah, too no. too low for that flipping it was RV. Crazy. It was hilarious, and the driver was crazy too. Well, that doesn't help that we had a crazy driver. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at Devexpress.com superhero. And check out that little cartoon of Mark Miller's Pac-Man. I love a, it. Running in a cape. An orange cape.
0: All right, buddy. Who's our
1: winner? <laughs> <laughs> Today's winner, Richard, is Tony Gray.
0: Congratulations, Tony. From Australia. Golf clap for you, sir.
1: Yes. And just for being a member of the fan club, Tony wins the DevExpress the Experience subscription. If you don't know what we're talking about, folks, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .netrocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and uh, every show we give away great sponsor stuff like the Experience subscription. Every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology, smoking hot technology. <laughs>
0: Absolutely, whatever you like. Whatever you We've want. We've done it twice. Yeah. And uh, once was, uh, they've both been, well. well, the first one, was the uh, was a development system? Yeah, multi-screen touch with the Canadian, um, and then this last one was more mobile. Yeah, it was the, the the laptop approach. Yeah, it's both both been a dev machines so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, and they picked them. Yeah, they picked them. And we they still can't
1: believe them. Their wives <laughs> thought we were you know we were Nigerian, Nigerian princes, scammers. Yeah, yeah uh, right? no, we really did it. And We're uh, like the Oprah of .NET. <laughs> and you, know? get
0: <laughs> <machine>. <laughs> and you, you get a development machine.
1: And you get a development
0: machine.
1: Yes. But it doesn't have to be a development machine. You can do anything you want. No. $5,000 worth of technology. And we like to ask our guests, Brian, if you had $5,000 to spend right now on technology, sir, what would you buy?
2: I think I would go with 50 parallela boards which would, which would put me right around five thousand so dollars because they're hundred bucks a shot yep. yeah no, 99 little, right 99
1: parallel computing board the 64 16 or 64 core uh, but they're very low power
2: right yeah, yeah yeah and so uh there's a lot of erlang stuff going on with these and uh it'd be brilliant to have a cluster of these oh my god uh, yeah. so
1: they're very low power but they're still fast because they're running erlang
2: well because they have you know you're each core running slower that that model. You know, yeah, which is yeah, what yeah. we're experiencing in our laptops and everything. You yeah, sure. you have more cores, they run slower, everything's right. better. Uh, sixty four cores per? Uh depends on which model is a sixteen and a sixty four core. I think the sixteen is the ninety nine dollar but, uh, but that would be enough. That would be enough, and, sure. uh, and what I would do with those 50 parallel boards once I had uh, – The 100, is, yeah. 50. Is I would, I would ring uh, uh, Natalia, who's speaking later this week here. Right. So uh, Natalia, uh, this is going to be a video that people will want to check out as well, but uh, she's given a talk on, uh, on the release project, this SD Erlang project. And so it, it, the goal of it is to say we want to be able to bring clusters of 1,000 boxes up, hmm. each box with 100 cores. And we want to make sure that everything just sort of behaves like an appliance,
0: right? Everything works. And this
2: is, and this is if you're talking about even across multiple data centers. Wow. And so when you're talking about that many cores, like your hundred thousand cores, the mean time between failure of a core is something like forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so, so you think about the challenges here, like of of you know you're dealing with just crazy things catching on fire every once in a while. Yeah. We're also dealing with distribution, your network partitions, all this. And so the same sort of experience you get on a on a small cluster in Erlang, they're moving this. And this is a this is a a multi-year project funded by the EU, the government of Sweden, and by Ericsson. Right. Uh, And uh, and so and she's doing the research on she's she's one of the people making it happen. And they're about halfway through that project. That's awesome. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Yeah, great great technology. I'll include the link for folks who want to take a look at this because it's very cool. They're small too, but yeah, you know, five five grand worth of this you would (laughs) have. Uh, what eight hundred cores to play with? <laughs> wow! Why do you think? I mean, Erlang's almost thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Why has it not been more prevalent? In a phrase,
1: another way, what are some of the barriers to yeah. using it? And maybe is it platform support? I mean, it doesn't run on iPhones and well, stuff, does it?
2: It runs on. Well, you can actually run it on an Android device, which is kind of you know, crazy. Can no one it, really does it. Can you write uh, mobile
1: but, apps with with Erlang?
2: Uh, you you wouldn't uh, right. right now, and and basically this comes down to a um, uh, recently this week with with Swift you know so iOS right if uh, the, uh, there are a lot of funny reactions to this from from people some folks are saying it's nice to see that they're bringing in some functional ideas and other people are like. Oh, jeez. You know, so they're, they're creating this other mess that's going to be another mess piled in with all the other messes. Right. And yeah. so, uh, you know, <laughs> so better than Objective-C is not much of a statement. <laughs> and so no, it's true. Uh, and so uh, the people have been saying, why didn't they use Haskell?
1: First oh, yeah. of all, let's talk about what Swift is, because we've never mentioned it before on the right. show.
2: Okay. So Language uh, announced at the uh, big Apple developer conference. WWDC. Thing. Uh new language that uh, ha- has closures, has, you know, you've got this. So it's, it's a new language. It's not, well, it has some functional Ish. qualities to it. It's functional-ish. And so I've heard people thinking of it as being like a. It's like kind a of C su- Sharpie, like, right? Like They're looking at like Scala as a sort of bridge language, and they're looking at it kind of like that. Uh, it's a bridge language. The question and is, is, like, is it bringing yeah,
0: sure. anything new to the table, or have you just made yet another language?
2: I I I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I've really been heads down, about it, but I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of, the, you know, just the the replies back and forth. And I think the comment though about like why didn't they just go with Haskell? For right. This? Or why didn't they go with something that's open and out there? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Haskell's too hard. I mean, because obviously you've got millions of developers willing to write Objective C.
0: Yes, they're willing. And so to do I mean, hard they're willing things. to do,
2: you know, th- yeah. So I mean, why not pick a language that has safety? Uh, right. So, so there's the story of why would Erlang be on a on a phone? Uh, it would it would be a good language as far as UIs of handling things like this, but it's yeah. really not the thing it was built for.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think of Erlang as a UI language.
2: But what that means, ends up think, turns out to be an accident,
0: really, or yeah. a,
2: it, it's, it's just the way that people have used it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then, and that's the way I, you know one of the things yeah. I think that Erlang has gotten more popular is that the microservice model, like we were coming around to a model that, that Erlang does extremely well. Where we've got smarter clients making small calls to many services, and, and Erlang shines in that model. Right. But I'm with you; that's what it's been used for because it came out of telco. It'd be interested to see what it would do with the UI development stack.
2: I think part of the barrier to entry to answer that question has been uh, uh, people didn't really have the problem historically, right? <laughs> you know, and, and they're having the problem now, and you are seeing lots of people digging in uh, that were, you know, the leaders in. Uh, You know, the alt.net movement, you have these different people coming in and looking at Erlang. Uh, You have people that were leaders in the Ruby community that are moving in. Uh, I I think the big big change for Erlang probably won't be, it will probably never be a a top 10 popularity language. But I think what's going to happen, though, is there's a language called Elixir that will be a top 10 popularity language. All right. So what's Elixir about? Yeah, so uh, Elixir is a new language. It's It'll go to V1 sometime this summer. It was started three years ago mm-hmm. by a fellow named Jose Valim. And so Jose is a core member of the Ruby on Rails project. Hmm. And he was reading Bruce Tate's uh, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks book. Right. So Bruce Tate's also here, and yes. you should watch his talks. Uh, so another plug. Um, <clears throat> and so... He was reading this book and he he read about Erlang and he got really interested in it from from that book and it and it caught him and he couldn't forget it. He kept on he was running into problems he was having in Ruby where Ruby was falling down. Right. And so he went down the crazy path of writing a Ruby like language on top of Erlang.
0: On top of the Erlang VM. On the v- Erlang VM, and okay. so
2: the Erlang VM isn't like the CLR, or the JVM. The Erlang VM is like an operating system, yeah. right? You can, and, boot and that's it. why this crazy power is there, and that's why you can't just come in and write some. Tack on framework for .NET and and like yeah, I'm kind of doing Erlang style. You know, when you hear someone say Erlang style concurrency, it should make you roll your eyes, right? And uh, because it's there's no such thing unless you've implemented things at the base level. And so the Erlang VM is 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 crazy good around concurrency and fault tolerance and distribution. And this language, this new language Elixir, gets all of that stuff automatically hmm. because it's targeting the Erlang VM. It's running the Erlang but, VM. And, and and it's it's has this Ruby syntax, which a lot of folks like. But yeah. beyond that, the community behind it is the Ruby on Rails community that has thought a lot about convention over config. They've, mm-hmm. thought, about, they've thought about these things that, that sparked the, the alt.net movement or kept fueled it, right. and then half of them left <laughs> .net and went over to Ruby finally after yeah. they retired to fight in the fight. But, uh, but so Elixir is it has that community that's, that's continuously improving, energetic, and, and are thinking about developer productivity and developer joy. And so that combination of that power and these things, uh, it, it's going to be big. Another reason it's going to be big is Dave Thomas uh, at Pragmatic Press, uh, he's, he's written a book on this already. And so uh, there's a wow. book that's in beta, and it will ship as soon as the language hits V1. But so Dave Dave is cited a lot of times as the kingmaker for Ruby. Mm-hmm. He's At the point that he published the book and, and went out speaking on it, was when Ruby went from being this obscure language that no one knew to being a mainstream language. Right. And he's doing the same exact thing for Elixir right now. Interesting. Uh, there are two conferences coming up in Austin uh, this, this summer and fall uh, around... Well there's uh, elixirconf uh, that is sometime uh, this summer uh, in in, uh, it's in July uh, in Austin and then Erlang camp is coming to Austin in October. so I mean they're getting a big uh, dose of it there and yep. of course that's the mother Church of alt.net again right <laughs> Well there's a real
0: concentration of, of forward-thinking developers in Austin uh, all yeah. over the map like it's kind of amazing the, right. the range of skills that are there.
2: It, it, so I guess this is a, a, a way to segue back into community because they, you know there's been right. a really good community thing there. And in Nashville, uh, a few years ago, this was 2011, uh, I was hanging out with this guy who's an Erlang developer there. And someone took a picture of us and said, hey, it's the Erlang user group. <laughs> you know, are two people. And, and, and that was really it. Uh, but it wasn't just the user. It was the entire population. Right. It was everybody. We, we were it. And uh, that was, we were the only two. And you could have said the same about any most of the other functional languages uh, around that time. And I knew I didn't want that. And I wanted to try to... Uh, and, but I knew that there was also interest in FP, and there were people that were wanting to dig in. And right. so we started doing more events. Uh, I had been hanging out with the NashDL people, Dynamic Languages Group, so Ruby, Clojure, and I was there as Erlang guy, mm-hmm. and so I learned a lot about how the Ruby people go about community. And uh, my background, I also uh, have a background as a as an artist. So, a master fine arts is the background. Oh, no so, kidding. I've been oh, yeah. in arts communities, and so uh, my my whole life uh, up until well, the last few years, and now I'm just geek. Right. So uh, sometimes I say past artist, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that was an important. Uh, maybe it'll be important one day again. But uh, but there are different ways that artist communities come together and they learn from each other and the way that critiques work and all mm-hmm. the things you go through grad school and ha- how you improve uh, uh, your craft there. And so borrowing and stealing ideas from all these different places, where like, what would we need to, to, to make this happen in Nashville? So we had the fire starter, and that was good. But I realized that the thing that had to happen had to be a sustained thing. And so the .NET user group uh, was, was kind of abysmal there. It was it was a depressing thing. I think a lot of groups have this, this thing uh, where it feels... It feels like the light's down a notch or something. Um, You go in at the beginning of the year, some speaker would ask, who in here is doing TDD? And like five or six hands would raise up. Right. Next year, speaker comes in, who's doing TDDs? Five or six hands would raise up. And so there's no improvement. I mean, the the group wasn't getting any smarter year by year. And part of that, I think, is the format that user groups have adopted. You go in and you have some, some guy with a PowerPoint Yep. He yammers on for thirty, forty minutes. He shows a demo, yammers on a little bit more. People clap and they eat pizza and they go home. Right. And 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 you you have no you don't get into the technology and so that's passive learning. Right. And so to to improve, you have to have active learning. And so the lab format, show and tells, where people are actually code coding dojos. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so this is what we started doing at Nash dot net. Uh, someone had uh, two groups had come together in Nashville. Uh, and they became the .NET user group. So we had two meetings a month. And so I took over as president in 2011, and uh, what I did is I, I knew I didn't want to schedule 12, 24 speakers for a right. year. And so I thought, this is my big chance to change things here. And so I introduced this lab, and people were like, no one's going to show up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it turned out that more people showed up for the labs than for the lectures wow. by sure. the end of the year. And so we were doing, uh, we, early in the year, we did labs on TDD, we did labs on GitHub, and so now, hands go up when people ask those questions about who's using GitHub, right. who's you using GitHub. You move the ball forward in terms of the... the... Awesome. We introduced RabbitMQ and, and Erlang mm-hmm. content through the year. And so I introduced as much functional stuff as I could get by with. Right. And there are people that like that and some that were like, eh. And, uh, and so, but out of that, I knew there was enough interest to start a functional programming group. Mm-hmm. So we started this polyglot functional group. And the polyglot part is really important. It could have been an Erlang user group or an f user group. Right. But being polyglot meant that no one was, there. you know, no gods, no, no masters. No,
0: right. No exclusions. No one, one no right yeah, way. No,
2: there's no alpha dog that could yes. just say, oh, you guys don't know it as well as I do That's sort of thing. Important. And so I, I don't know uh, about four-fifths of the language that we talk about at Nash FP. And so, uh, and we're really flat. Different people facilitate each month. Right. But it's, it's basically a three-hour time where we come in and we code together. And we do show and tells of something that maybe we've been hacking over the past few weeks. We keep a GitHub repo just hot of, of, of labs that we're working on between the meetings. And, uh, and so there's always something to talk about. And, and if there's nothing to talk about, someone will hop up and put the proje- hook into the projector and nice. uh and, and, and just go for it. And, and, and out of that it's such a safe place. I mean we have we have a good gender mix or better than most groups. We have uh, uh, we have kids that show up at the group. I mean I, I love that. So I mean you're doing something right when kids show up.
1: And that was that picture you showed me. Yeah, yeah. 7-year-old yeah. girl.
2: Yeah, when kids show up, uh, y- even someone that's naturally a jerk isn't going to be a jerk. Yeah, there's sort <laughs> of limits <laughs> to what you're willing yeah, to do. Yeah. Yeah, so 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 NashFP has been going along. It's been it's been brilliant. We I, I started hearing this line from people uh, about how this is the most fun three hours of my month. Awesome. Wow! And, and I heard that a few months after in a row, and I was thinking, this is great, this is great. And then I heard it maybe the third month, and I was like, wait, this isn't great. This sucks. It, you, this should be like if if this is your best three hours, you should be doing this eight hours a day, right. not three hours a month. Right. Right. And so so we shifted. We we've started to become like a. a an ad. Uh, we're an activist organization now, right. where we're where we're going after companies, and we're 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 hitting businesses and telling businesses and, and and teaching CIOs in town. And so we're seeing companies adopting functional programming in Nashville. Right. And so this comes from this this community that was growing. We were larger than the .NET user group in Nashville, around functional programming. It's creating Splinter groups. So we have the f user group now, mm-hmm. the thing that we didn't start off with, but we right. now have it. We mm-hmm. have a Haskell group and these different things. And so uh, there's a model there. And so, so if anyone on the, on the podcast is interested in uh, starting a functional programming user group in their town, uh, please go out to nashfp.org or ping me, because I, I, I've spent a lot of time on, on uh, Skype with people. Just ping me on Twitter, and I'll set up a Skype call, and I'll walk you through what we've done and uh, there are a few groups around the country that have spun up this way. You right, know, we're just that's mentoring great. them on and getting it started. And
0: I find it really interesting that it's almost language agnostic. This is yeah. a development methodology. You know, thinking functionally. Yeah. In fact, I've seen some great code written in C Sharp that's
2: very functional. Right, and sometimes people show uh, functional C Sharp. Right, and yeah. they do, and and people cheer along, and they show. Sometimes people show JavaScript mm-hmm. and XQuery and uh, yeah. you know and, and different things, and so it's it's totally open. Uh, but but there is. A difference in quality, like when you you move to FP, you're, it's like quitting smoking or something. <laughs> I mean, it's like there, it's going to be good for you. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. a while. You're going to yeah.
0: you're going to hack every morning for a bit, but eventually, right. yeah. You'll feel much better.
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
1: uh, you know, every time we talk about functional programming, I get that urge. Yeah, to there you go, man. Code. I get the, the right right urge code. to quit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need a patch. Yeah, man. that's it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, this has been uh, this has been fantastic.
0: So <laughs> great got some great links here, Brian. It's good we'll, we'll get people looped in on it. Awesome. Yeah, Brian
1: Hunter, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks.